Great job, Joe. Joe, you always do a really, really good job of, of planning the music. And I told y'all last week that Mark chapter 14 is going to be rather heavy for us now for a few weeks because that's just where the Bible is going. Um, Jesus is about to be crucified and rejected and, and all of that. It's very heavy. It's not one of these um, biblical moods where we should be necessarily all laughing and, 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 and happy. Um, it's, it's heavy, and Joe does a good job of planning songs. You can see from the songs that we're singing that he has that in mind, and I, I appreciate that so much. Also, before we pray, I want to say, Valerie, great job. Y'all see Valerie up here signing to the song. That was a, that was a nice surprise today, Valerie. That's awesome. Yeah, great, great job with that. Um, that. That led me to sing the song with more even more heart, and I appreciate that. We thank God for you, Valerie. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for Sunday mornings. And God, even as we sit here in the quiet, we hear that it's raining pretty strongly outside. It's a dark day, a wet day, but Father, this is where we want to be. Our clothes will dry out, our shoes will dry out, and by your mercy, we'll make it back home safely. But it's Sunday morning, and this is who we are, God, and this is what we do. We meet with other believers who are joined together through this church to worship you. We thank you that we have this building. We thank you for the electricity, God. We thank you for all of these things. We've come here, God, for this very moment, that we would open up your word and hear the truth of what our God and Father and Lord and Savior, what our King is like. Oh, God, today we pray that you would increase our understanding of you and then us in light of you and then ratchet up our hold, our grip. May our grip on you by faith, God, get stronger today because we are aware of how strong your grip on us is. May we love you, God, because of how much you love us. God, work that in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's turn to Mark chapter 14. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's page 935 in your black pew Bible there. Page 935 in the pew Bible, Mark chapter 14. There are some times in life where you have a little experience that causes you to just think, man, life is fragile. Or man, life is beautiful. Or life is heavy. It's fall break right now for JCPS. They didn't have school Friday and they don't have school Monday or Tuesday. And so we took off and went camping Thursday night. Had a great time. And me and the two oldest boys, JJ and Eli, left out a little bit early ahead of everybody else to make sure we could get there and have the tent set up before dark. And that ride, and we went to Otter Creek Park, it's only about 30 minutes south, but that ride in, the van, in, the, in, in our car was one of the highlights of my, my, my parenting life. 
we were scanning the radio and whatever song came on, we tried to jam out to it and we didn't know the songs and we were laughing at what they were saying and we had the windows down a little bit and it's just one of those moments, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where it's dad with his nine-year-old and eight-year-old and they were as happy as can be. We were on our way to camping. We were just having a good time. I was unplugging, if you will, from, from work and all that, and it's fall break, and Friday's my day off, and uh, we, we didn't have to feed the football team on Friday. That happened Thursday, and it was just one of those moments where we were, we were free, it felt like, and we were just bonding, and kids were laughing, and we were happy, and they were, you know how it is, parents, when you get around with kids, when they get really happy, they start to get really silly, and those moments are rare. They really are rare, but every once in a while, you'll see a kid totally just open up and, and let go and just get silly. And JJ and Eli were acting awesome. And I just remember thinking, in, in, in some odd way, I hope Otter Creek's five hours away. Let's just stay right here. I was loving that moment with them. Their silliness kind of carried over to me being silly, and we were, we were having such a good time. It made me think, man, Forget about school and forget about ball and forget about all the things that are often at the front of our mind. There are bigger things in life. In that moment, I wasn't thinking at all about their grades or their, their disobeying. I wasn't thinking at all about their needs. I was just thinking, I love them. And I'm so glad that God made me their dad. One of those special moments where life just seems to be really, really deep. But it's not always that way, and you know that. Just a couple weeks ago, actually just this past Monday, I did a funeral for a family, elderly lady that had passed away. I did it on Monday. And it was an odd one because I had just done a funeral for that family about 10 days ago. I didn't know them before that. This elderly lady had passed away, but just 10 days before, I had spent time with her, helping her, because her daughter in, the, in her 40s had passed away. And that was the first time I'd seen them. The mom sat front row in the funeral, crying and heavy and emotional because her daughter in, the 40s, in her 40s had just died. But at that funeral for that lady that had passed away, she was a single mom that had two teenagers and also a kid in elementary school. And I had to conduct that funeral and lead it and watch those three children try to to make it through. I stood there. Y'all have been to funeral before. The minister stands like at the head of the casket. And I watched these three kids come by look into the casket of their, their mother. In that moment, y'all, I don't, I don't give a rip about school or grades or bills or anything. Life's got deeper stuff to it, more important things. That car ride camping was like the, the high that felt so good, it made me think, I'm not worried about those other things. I'm right now aware of loving my children. And that funeral was like the low, but it did the same thing to me. 
love my, my children. Life's heavy like that. And it is so hard, apart from the, the, the work and grace of God, it is so hard for you to get in those moments. I know that it is. They're rare. But it is especially so hard for you to get in those moments and have the Lord Jesus reign over those emotions. For you to surrender your heart and your will to trusting in him. For you to bring your heart to say, God loves me, I know he does. He's my father in heaven, I know he cares for me, I know he's got me, I know he's taking care of me, and I will ratchet up my trust and my faith in him. Y'all, the Bible teaches us that life is very short and eternity is big. And the Bible teaches us that however big or small or good or bad our experience, his on earth, our experience is here on earth is just temporary and we have eternity awaiting us. And it is our faith-driven, listen, it is our faith-driven responsibility to live in that perspective. It is. It is. And we as parents and as men and women and, and, and as adults, we have to, by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit's power, get ourselves into understanding what matters most. We must. We will be cheap and we will be small and we will be wasteful and we will be worthless with our lives, with our relationships. We'll be cheap and wasteful and worthless with our love and with our devotion and with our obedience and with our sacrifice and with our commitments. Those things won't mean all that they're supposed to mean if we don't grasp God and his glory and how big things are. What I mean by that is eternal life and heaven and the forgiveness of sins. And our passage today in Mark chapter 14, set in the bigness of the whole gospel, Mark's whole gospel, which we've, we've, we've now traveled through chapter one all the way to here, is gonna take us there. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 14, verse 12. Now, remember, this is a big, long story, and so each week when I'm kind of chopping it up, you've got to be able to remember what we talked about last week, and that's why I really hope y'all will stay committed to being here week after week so that you just pick up on where we left off. Remember last week, I got real serious on what it means to betray Jesus, and, and Judas was planning to betray Jesus. But let's start reading in verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room, furnished and ready, there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it, just as he had told them, 
and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, say to, say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Three words for you today, the plan, the Passover, and the punishment. The plan, the Passover, and the punishment. This passage set in the whole gospel of Mark has us thinking this is the master plan of God. When Josh Womble preached the first two verses in chapter 14 just a few weeks back, one of his points was the right moment. You remember that point, the right moment? In other words, now is the time. And if you read the Gospels, you see it most in the Gospel of John, and we've told you all about that. You see it in all of the Gospels, though, that this is clearly a plan, clearly a plan. You remember those passages that you see in the Gospels where Jesus does something and he says, now don't tell anybody? You remember those passages? Jesus heals somebody and they're like, wow, you really must be the Lord, Savior, King, and God of the universe. And Jesus says, you're right, but don't tell anybody about that. You remember those passages? There's lots of them. And you remember, you think, well, why? We're supposed to tell everybody about Jesus, right? Why? Because God has a plan. God has a plan for this Lord and King to die on the cross. It's been God's plan since before the creation of the world. God has a plan for his son to die for you, to give up his life for your sins. God has a plan for the wicked punishment of sins that you deserve to be taken out on Jesus. And God is gonna make sure nothing, nothing gets in the way, that nothing can get in the way. There's a plan. And when you read the Gospels, you, you see that. In the parallel passage, Matthew 26, that, that we read just a few minutes ago in the middle of the service, the, 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 the exact passage that, that parallels our passage today, it doesn't say it in Mark, but it does say it here. It says, at, at Matthew chapter 26, it says, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? Jesus said to them, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. In other words, go and say, now's the time. It is time for the teacher. It is the teacher's time, and the teacher is Jesus. You see that again in Matthew. In this very setting, there is a plan. Everything that happened in the life of Jesus is according to plan. Not just the big picture, though, but also the little picture. Look, look, at, look at what happens. It's, it's, it's the first day of unleavened bread, which is celebration of the Passover. It's the eight-day celebration. I'm going to talk about that more in my second point. But that's what's going on. And they just sacrificed the lamb. That's what you do. They take a, they take a lamb. Again, I'll, I'll explain that a little bit more. But they sacrifice the lamb. And after you've done that sacrifice, 
Then you bring all the family together and you then eat the lamb. And so they've sacrificed it. And now they're saying, okay, Jesus, where are we going to go eat it? And this was often a lot of people, you know, maybe 10 people could eat of this lamb. And so there are a lot of people here. And so they say, where will you have us go prepare for you to eat the Passover? So that's the question. And Jesus says, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, and he always sends out two. You you remember that all throughout the Gospels. He sends out two regularly. But look what he says, verse 11. Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there, prepare for us. And the disciples set out, went to the city, found it, listen, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. A little small little scene in the gospel, right? But you picture two walking in, and right when they walk in, here comes a man with a, with a thing of water. Excuse me, sir. Teacher says, it's time. Where are we going to eat the Passover? Well, I'm glad you asked. Just right this way. I'll show you right to the room. It's just happening just like that. And granted, there may be some details there that aren't as miraculous. Maybe Jesus had already lined it up with that man, um, The Old Testament teaches that it was women that carried the the jars and men weren't supposed to, so this man carrying a jar would have stood out. That would have been easy to recognize. But you can't miss, even Mark says that it happened just as he had told them. We're to see that God has a plan. And we're to understand that Jesus understands the plan, knows the plan, is working the plan, facilitating the plan, even driving the plan. My time, my time. When you hear Jesus saying that, did it make you think of anything? Turn back to the beginning of chapter 11. I hope you remember this. You remember the beginning of chapter 11? It sounds very familiar. It's even some of the exact same wording. We're to see it as the master plan of God. We're to see it as Jesus being the main character in in living out God's plan. Chapter 11, the triumphal entry, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say this, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. Again, Jesus says, go, here's what you're gonna find, here's what you're gonna say, here's what they're gonna say, here's how you're gonna answer, and here's what's gonna happen. There's a plan and there's a big, almighty God working in the plan. Do you know that about your own life? To 
Does God bring peace and rest and trust to you in the midst of your anxieties? Can you trust that God's a good, loving God and a father to you? He's taking care of you. Are you able to understand that God has a plan? Have you memorized Romans 8, 28? For we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you know that? Do you realize that the trials and hardships and ups and downs and the heartaches and the pains are, are, are right there in the middle of God's sovereign plan? If you'll hold on tight and trust him, you will see him see you through it. God has a plan. Do you realize that in, listen to this, that in the early spring of 2003, I'd never been to Kentucky. I've told this many times, but I want to share it again. I'd never been to Kentucky. I drove up here to check out Southern Seminary as a recent college graduate. And we got bored one night. We had a two-night stay. We got bored one night, so we went to shoot basketball in the gym. And there were only like two other people in the gym. Do you know that one of them was a North Greenville graduate named Josh Powell? And in the weirdest turn of events, we shot basketball together for about 15 minutes. I had never seen him or heard of him in his life, in my life. And after about a 15 minutes of shooting basketball, he says, hey, if you do decide to choose Southern Seminary and you do end up here, I'm about to be the new pastor in Fairdale at First Baptist. Why don't you come visit? Do you realize I've been here now 14 years and were it not for a 15-minute basketball shoot-around on a free time in early 2003, I would have never met Josh Powell and I would have never even heard of Fairdale. Think God had a plan in that? I think he did. We could go on and on and I think you could too. Folks, we're to understand that God is a good God. God has a plan for us. And we're to remember what the Proverbs say when it says, be not wise in your own eyes. And we're to remember what the Proverbs say when it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not, do not, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. God has a plan. The big picture of the gospel is that God has a plan. It is now Jesus' time. He's headed to the cross for us. The small picture, meaning just these few verses right here in chapter 14, show us that God has a plan. God is working out his plan to bring about the glory of God through the people who know him and love him and worship him, through the people who call him father, through the people who bow their knee, for the people who love him deep in their heart. God has a plan to bring that about where we will worship him. You can't miss that here. The little details, man carrying water, a room that he's already got prepared, it just sounds wild. God has a plan. We see God having a plan, though, even further than big picture, small picture, in the Passover. Look back at verse 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, 
when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Now, just to be real helpful, unleavened, the, 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 the feast, the festival of unleavened bread and the Passover are, are so very similar that, that, that it's used interchangeably. This is a big eight-day feast, festival, celebration of the Passover. And I'm, I'm kind of curious here, and I, uh, there's no way to know, but I'm wondering if y'all even know what the Passover is. We, we should, we really should, but you may not, okay? This, this is what this is is this is taking us back to the Old Testament, the second book of the Bible, the Exodus. If you don't know what the Passover is, you could get it real easily. You need to go home and, and read like the first, the first half of the book of Exodus, really. You need to read about 10 or 12 chapters in Exodus. It wouldn't take you that long, and you would really get it. You need to understand what the Passover is because trying to understand this passage today without the Passover is like, eh, you're going to kind of get it. But when you understand the Passover, it's like, wow, this is awesome. Here's what the Passover is. Now, I'm going to try to tell you in just a couple minutes because y'all don't like it when we go past noon. But you go home and read Exodus, you'll get a little bit better. God's people end up in Egypt as slaves. You know that, right? God's people end up in Egypt as slaves. And Pharaoh is this ruler over them, and he keeps oppressing them and and kind of punishing them, and they're not happy. And God is going to deliver them out of slavery. God is going to have an exodus, and God is going to set them free out of slavery. That's going to happen. But Pharaoh isn't going to let it happen. And God raises up Moses to be the one who says to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And I think y'all know this story, right? So God sends Moses, and Moses says, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who's God? Which God? What's his name? I'm not letting him go. He's not more powerful than me. That's not going to happen. And Moses says, well, if you're not going to, he's going to punish you. And so God punishes him, and that's the first plague. And this exchange goes on for 10 plagues. You've heard of that, right? And each time, God turns it up a little harder. God turns it up a little harsher. The 10 plagues are the blood, then frogs, gnats, then flies. Then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils, hell, locusts, darkness to the eyes. Then comes number 10, the firstborn dies. I taught y'all that when we studied the book of Exodus years ago, right? Blood, then Frogs, gnats, then flies, then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils, hell, locusts, darkness to the eyes, then comes number 10, the firstborn dies. Make a long story short, Pharaoh, suffering greatly under all of these punishment plagues of God, hardens his heart and says, no, I'm not letting God's people go. And it gets real serious, and God says, Pharaoh, if you don't, I'm going to kill the firstborn in every family. Now, I know y'all don't like to get that serious, and I know we have to be very careful talking that way. But I opened up with two heavy stories, me with my kids in the car going camping and then at a funeral to get you seeing that there are big, heavy truths in life. And refusal, listen to me, refusal To bow your heart and life to God is awful, is evil, is prideful. And God said that to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, no. And so God did. 
what God said he would do. He sent a death angel to kill the firstborn in every family. But God is a merciful God. And so what he did, listen to me, please pay attention right now. What God did is he said, I don't want to kill those who trust me. If you trust me, here's what you can do. Take a lamb and kill the lamb, sacrifice the lamb, and take the blood. And on your door, look at me, on your door, take the blood and rub blood all over the doorway. And tonight, when that death angel comes, when he sees the blood, he'll pass over. The killing, judging, punishing death angel will pass over your house. Why? Because they trusted God. God said do it, they did it. He'll pass over. And in God's great mercy, he said to all of those people, if you'll listen to me, you'll be safe in my salvation. If you'll listen to me, you'll be safe in my salvation. Folks, I know it's a short little sermon. You may be bored or whatever, but you've got to understand this. You've got to. I was having to discipline one of our kids the other night. And after us having a good talk, I said, listen, I've got to teach you to obey daddy because you know that I love you. If you don't learn to obey me, you'll never learn to obey God. And I'm punishing you so you'll see how much I love you. So that you'll see disobedience is bad. I don't want to do this. I don't want you to get this. But disobedience is bad. And if you think it's bad from daddy, it's much worse from God. Disobedience is bad. And God says, if you'll trust me, you'll be safe in my salvation. Just take the blood, which they're familiar with sacrifices. Just take the blood, rub it on the doorway. When the angel comes, he'll pass over. You'll be good. And that's what happened. Some people said, we don't listen to God, and God struck down the firstborn in their house. And some people said, God's our only hope and salvation. So we're going to put the blood there, and their family was safe in God. And from then, the, 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 well, the Exodus story says that that happened. Pharaoh finally said, oh, no, enough's enough. This God is too strong for me. Let them go. And God finally set the people free, and Pharaoh let them go. So that's the Exodus Passover story. Back to Mark 14 Jewish people celebrate this every year. It's the Passover, and they celebrate it, and they remember this. And what happens is, now here's what happens at the Passover. They go, and they take the lamb, and they sacrifice it. No need necessarily to put it on the door, right? No need to. They, 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 they sacrifice the lamb. They're reminded of all that this is. 
They then go and gather as a family. It's a big deal. They gather as a family, and they start eating the lamb. And it is intended, listen to me, it's intended to cause all of the children to ask lots of questions. And the children sitting at the table eating the lamb would say things like, why did we kill it? Why did it have to die? Why did we do that with the blood? What's so significant about the blood? What's all that about? And as they sit there together, eating the lamb, the father then explains the Passover. That the lamb's blood was shed for us. And this happens every year. And that sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds awesome, sitting as a family and talking and understanding all that the Bible is about. And so, in our passage, it's time for them to celebrate the Passover. Now, my first point was that God has a plan, right? Well, guess who's about to die during the Passover? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You think it's coincidence that Jesus dies during the Passover? Or do you think that Jesus is the ultimate lamb? Certainly, it's the plan of God. Now, let me remind you that no blood of bulls and goats or lambs ever offered up the ultimate forgiveness of sins, and surely you know that, right? People in the Old Testament are not saved by their sacrifices. They're saved by faith in a saving God. But just like the blood on the door showed that they were trusting God, offering a sacrifice showed that they were trusting God. Not that that sacrifice washed away their sins. It is only the holy sacrifice of God that will wash away your sins. It is only the death of Christ. It is only the holy blood of Jesus spilt for you that can wash away your sins. That is the only thing. There is no good work that will forgive you of your sins. There is no good work that you can do that God is so pleased with that he says, well, all right, just welcome in. No, you must be forgiven forgiven of all your sins, and you must be forgiven of all your sins by the work of Jesus on the cross. But doing the sacrifices in the Old Testament was a way to obey, showing that you believed God. Just like that blood on the door was just a way of saying, we trust you, God. The blood on the door didn't actually do anything. It just showed God you were listening to God. Everybody following me? It's hard to explain this stuff, but I hope you're understanding. All of this now is in play while Jesus is going to the cross, while Judas is betraying him. See, now pick up on the whole Judas thing. Jesus is God. They're not going to be able to take him and arrest him and kill him and beat him and do all of that. They've got to have an in route. They've got to have a connection, and that's where Judas comes in. The devil is going to enter into Judas, and Judas is going to betray him, and they're going to now take Jesus. But it's all there in the Passover. So not only does God have a plan, but God's plan is seen very, very clearly that it's now the Passover. And so they're saying, where are we going to go eat it? And they end up in the upper room. Verse 15 says, 
He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out, went to the city, found it, just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So they've already sacrificed the lamb. They're now cooking it, and they're about to all come and eat it. They're going to take part in it. Verse 17, and when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. You ever been having a big family dinner? Maybe Thanksgiving, which is coming up next month, and somebody brings up something that you don't really feel like talking about, and somebody inevitably, usually mom, goes, come on, we're just trying to have one nice dinner for once, and you gotta bring up that? Can we not just sit here without fighting once? Right? Y'all have seen that happen before, right? Do we have to talk about that here? Can we not just have one Thanksgiving meal together without talking about politics or not talking about this or not talking about that? Right? That happens. These 12 are here for the Passover, which they do every year, and surely this was supposed to be one of the sweetest times, right? And Jesus, out of nowhere, reclining at table, just goes, yeah, yeah, one of you 12 are about to betray me. Y'all, I I try to tell y'all this all the time, that life is serious. Life is about God. This notion to never get serious and never get fearful and never get committed and never get obedient is so worldly, it's so ungodly. There is a place for us to get very serious about how bad sin is, how good God is, how pleasing it is to live for him in obedience and to do the right thing. We must, and Jesus here shows that. One of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And naturally so, they began to be sorrowful. I'm at verse nine. And they started to say one after another, is it me, is it me? Surely it's not me, not me, not me. Is it I, Lord? And everybody's worried and this nice Passover meal is now a very depressing Passover meal. Verse 20, he said to them, it is one of the twelve. One who is dipping bread into the dish with me. At that moment, they would have known close to which one. Now they wouldn't be thinking it was the 12. Had to be one close enough to him so they're dipping at at about the same time using the same bowl. You can't really have a table with 12 people sitting at it and everybody use the same bowl, right? Y'all been to eat Mexican before. They don't bring just one of those little sauces. You got five people, they probably bring two. You got eight, they're probably gonna bring three. You got 12, they're gonna bring a whole bunch. Now Jesus has identified that this is one really close. Remember, Matthew's passage said that, that Judas says, is it me? And Jesus says, you've said so. Knowing what we know about Judas, we know that Judas knew all along, right? Judas was a traitor, the Bible says. Judas was a thief, the Bible says. Judas was a judgment, hypocritical follower of Christ, the Bible says. Judas had a guilty conscience. Before he betrayed Jesus, he knew that he was going to betray Jesus. In Mark, though, he doesn't say much about that. He moves into verse 21, our last verse. God has a plan. 
God has a Passover. And God has a punishment. Verse 21. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. God has a plan. Everything that God has said is going to happen to Jesus is happening to Jesus. But woe. If you know anything about woes in the Bible, they are so strong, they're so, so heavy. Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Woe. When God says woe, it means pay attention. When God says woe, it means this is awful. Don't you do this. Pay attention. This is bad. Woe to you. This is not a woe from your teacher. This is not a woe from your your parents. This is a woe from God. When the authorities are strong enough, then all of a sudden their warning to us carries a big weight, doesn't it? I remember one time I was coaching ball and it was soccer and we got this kid who sometimes at practice would completely act up. And I didn't realize, like, someday he was great and some days he would act up. And then mom came and told me, oh, it's because dad's not here today. I started thinking about it. Oh, that is what it is. And so I became aware, like, if dad's at practice, man, he's a great teammate. If dad's not at practice, then he acts up. It just depends on whose authority is, Right? If the NCAA's getting on you, whoop-de-doo. If the FBI's getting on you, okay. Depends on what the authority is. When God says, woe, every one of us ought to have our heart sink. I said it last week. He's not about to go murder somebody. He's not about, listen to me, he's not about to go rob a bank. He's not about to go commit adultery, the things that you and I think are bad. You know what he's about to do? He's about to betray Jesus with a kiss. Listen to me, folks. If you're here today and you don't understand that every aspect of your life is about loving Jesus with everything in you, you still don't get it, and woe to you. Life is about loving him from the depth of your heart with everything you've got. If you're a dad, dad, you've got one responsibility that's so much higher than every other responsibility. It is to show your children what it means to love Jesus with everything in you. Mom, if you're a mom here today and you've got children or grandchildren in your life, you've got one responsibility that is so much higher than every other, love Jesus. And if we do not love him and bow down to him and surrender ourselves and confess our sins and turn from our sins and model humility and obedience and grace and and lives that show that Jesus is a king over us, then the Bible says, woe to us who are betraying Jesus. This guy is not a mass murderer. This guy is not somebody who's out there raping people. He is simply going to betray Jesus, but there is not a worse sin in all the world than to reject the Son of God. That is why our prisons are full of people who've been redeemed. Yes, they have sinned in a big way on a big scale, but the grace of God has come to them in prison. They've heard the gospel, they've repented of their sins, and they may stay in prison forever until they die, but they are saved, trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, trusting in Jesus. But you know who will not be saved? The good old folks who may have never been to prison 
but are rejecting the work of Jesus, who are rejecting the love of God, who are not saying, oh Lord, I need you. Jesus in verse 21 says, woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. And then he makes this next statement, which I've been nervous all week. I've been a little bit scared all week on how to preach this it would, be, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. That's harsh. You know how we have some children's books that all they do is paint Jesus as a nice little flowery guy? You can't put this verse in a children's book, to be honest. I know we got kids in here today, but you parents can explain it. This is harsh. I started thinking about it. This may be the most politically incorrect statement ever. Jesus turns to another man, a religious one albeit, one who's never murdered anybody, that seems like a pretty good guy, and says, it's better for you if you'd never been born. So harsh. Really so ugly. Now, I hear that sometimes people talk that way too, right? I hear that people say sometimes, I wish you were dead. I hear that people say sometimes, I wish you'd never been born to people. Sometimes people talk that way. Folks, we don't have a right to talk that way. Who do you think you are if you talk that way? Who do people think they are if they talk that way? We don't have a right to talk that way. But you know who does? The one who made us the one who keeps us, the one who's in charge of us. You know who does? The one who's already told this man, I'll lay down my life for you. I'll die for you. You can't go and drink the cup that I'm going to drink. You can't even handle it, but I can and I will. The one who has already said to them, greater love has nobody than this, that he lays down his life for you. The reason why God will be a just judge and punisher, because he will be when he punishes, is because he has already punished his son See, some people today are thinking, he shouldn't have said that. That's too harsh. He's already been harsher to Jesus in the cross for you. Judas has not been punished. Jesus was punished for us in our place. You understand? God is a punishing God, but only after he is a loving God. And whoever will believe in him that he sent his son to die for you will be safe and will be forgiven. To reject the love of God is to be punished by God. 
To say I don't need forgiveness is to be punished by God. Woe to that man who betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born because he is rejecting the answer to life, the work of Christ, the love of God, and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is that lamb killed for us. Jesus' blood is that blood that can offer us the forgiveness of sins will wash away our sins. You remember that old hymn that says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And if you don't want the blood of Jesus, or you don't believe in the blood of Jesus, or you don't seek God for forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, woe to you there will be punishment. May you trust in Christ. May God today reorient our priorities. May God today bring us to the thought of life is big. And may every sweet moment, like in the car with your kids, or every, every heavy moment, like a, a child at a funeral, may every one of those thoughts then point you to God and you believe in him. You trust in him. He is your father in heaven. Christ has died for your sins. All of your sins are forgiven. God is merciful to you and you are trusting in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Mark chapter 14 and the harsh reality of denying Jesus. Father, I pray that in us there would be no betraying, there would be no not wanting to believe, but God, we would be looking to Christ. And I pray, God, that in us, all of our disbelief and our, our betrayal would be forgiven by Jesus, and we would know ourselves as those who know you and believe you as one who has forgiven us. Father, thank you that we can look at this story and see the great plan that you have we can understand the Passover lamb and Jesus being that for us. We can be aware that in Christ alone we have escaped the judgment. Oh, Father, work that in our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.